Well, good morning. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy and my honor not only to welcome you, but also to wish you a happy new year. And hopefully as we're coming in this first Sunday of 2022, you're coming in with some new hopes and new dreams and maybe even some New Year's resolutions. Um, At the same time, though, I know some of you might be like, Scott, I've been there. I've done that. Um, I did that last year for the beginning of 2021. And you told me the first Sunday of 2021 that things were going to be better. And you were wrong. Um, And if that is you, uh, I totally get it. You might be kind of like MJ in Spider-Man. I'm not going to say what happens in that movie. But what does she say? She said, I I don't want to get my hopes up, so I won't be disappointed. And that might be some of you this morning. You've come in this morning, you've gone through a really difficult 2021 and experienced loss and pain and hardship. And uh, you might be tempted to say the best is not yet to come. Um, And you've kind of given up hope. But for those of us who are in Christ, Jesus says, I've come to make all things new. And so I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that place this morning, that you would come with hope. And bring your hope to the Lord, that God promises rest and renewal for his people. And so that kind of goes along with our sermon series, a real short short two-part series that we launched into last week. If you missed last week with Pastor Rob, I would highly commend it. The first one um, to you, he spoke from Matthew 11 and Jesus' invitation to come and rest. And if any of you find yourself tired and weary, that is a great invitation to us. And this morning... Instead of looking at the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look at what many people call the, 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 the Gospel of the Old Testament, uh, the Gospel or the book of Isaiah. And we spent several weeks there in the month of December. We're going to spend one more week there this morning. You're going to turn with me to Isaiah 55. And this invitation, instead of come and rest, is come and enjoy. And so you can turn there with me to Isaiah 55, and as you're turning there, help me follow up with one uh, announcement that um, that beautiful woman that was making those announcements... <laughs> Uh, That's my wife, if you don't know that. Uh, So Julia was mentioning something about re-engage. If you are longing not only for for renewal in your relationship with God, but also you want a a renewal in your relationship with your spouse, would highly commend re-engage to you. We just finished another round this past fall. Um, We had, I think, 15 couples that participated, and every single one of those couples just got a handful of surveys. Every single one of them said, our marriage is better now than when we started re-engage at the beginning. And so if you are longing for um, your relationship with your spouse to grow in this upcoming year, uh, whether you've been married for a couple of months or you've been married for 50 years or anywhere in between, we've had all of those couples uh, participate. Would highly encourage you to go ahead and register. Um, It starts two weeks from tomorrow night. There is free childcare uh, for you if you need that. And uh, it's just a great chance to be able to, to be cared for and discipled by mentor couples in a small group setting and to help you in your relationship with your spouse. Um, and by the way, it's open not just to people from our church, but even outside of our church. And so you've got some other friends that you might want to do it with. Say, hey, let's, let's do it and re-engage together. Um, go ahead and register today. There is limited space. Um, I think we also, this, this spring, have another um, 15 couples. That's our capacity. We're about halfway finished um, in terms of meeting that capacity. And so go ahead and sign up today for that. The deadline, by the way, is next Sunday. That's kind of the last day that you can register. So there you go. There's your announcement for re-engage. All right. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump in Isaiah 55. Why don't you stand with me? And let's listen to God's invitation to us this morning. I'm going to read this whole chapter. Come. 
Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I have purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning, and we want to listen to and respond to your invitation in this new year to come and enjoy you, not just to kind of come and sing a song and listen to a quick message and then go home and that be it. No, you are inviting us into a relationship with you. And I pray this morning that for all of us who who might find ourselves maybe far away or maybe not very close to you, that we would look back on this year at the end of 2022 and we would look back on this first Sunday And say, wow, look at how God met me there. And look at how my relationship with God has changed for the better this past year. God, I pray that for every single one of us in this room. And I ask this in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit. Amen. You guys can take your seats. And as you do, today's sermon is entitled God's Great Invitation. And if any of you guys have gotten an invitation, whether it's from a a New Year's Eve celebration or a wedding invitation or whatever it is, um, there's kind of a a typical format from an invitation. We're gonna follow that format through this passage of scripture. So first, you've got your guest list. So who are you inviting? Um, You've got the event itself. So what are you offering? Uh, The host, you know, what is the host? Uh, Who is this host that's doing the inviting? The RSVP. So how do you respond to the invitation? And last but not least, the parting gift. So uh, if you respond to this invitation, what can you expect to walk away with um, from this event? So first, the guest list. Who is invited? Well, the first kind of person that God invites is found in verse 1. Let's read it again. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, and without price. So the first guest that God is inviting are thirsty people who can't pay for what they need. In other words, you're thirsty 
and you're broke. And you might come here this morning with that type of thirst within your heart. Your, your soul just kind of feels like the brown grass of winter. A lot of old hopes have dried up. A lot of dead-end streets along your journey. And you're coming here this morning kind of empty and unfulfilled and knowing there's got to be something more to life. But every single time you try to reach out and grab this thing that's too good to be true, you can't get it. And you've got no more money. You have no strength. You've got no motivation. But you do have one thing. You've got thirst. And if you're that type of person, God says, come, everyone who thirsts and has no money. No resources, no bargaining position, no track record, no position, no power, no prestige, no Paul, you've got no resources to get what you want. And you, at the same time, God says, that's exactly where I want you to be. I want you to come, those who have no money, who are spiritually bankrupt, I want you to come and enjoy this banquet of salvation. If that's you, God says, you are invited. But God also has a second kind of person that he's inviting. And I'm glad because I think that we might fit, a lot of the rest of us might fit into this category. It's described in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? So this person, verse 1, God says like, hey, you guys no money, come. But this person, they have money. They have strength to work. But they keep on spending their money and their strength on those things that don't satisfy. This person, in essence, is kind of self-sufficient. So still spending, still working, still chasing, still yearning, still searching, new job, new experience, new identity, new friends, new phone, new gadget, new season tickets, new diet, new looks, new sport, new Netflix series. You get the idea. But every single thing that you've gone after, that I have gone after, what does it, where does it leave us? It leaves us dissatisfied and frustrated. Every triumph is kind of peters out. Um, every applause sort of fades away. Every fashion sense or every style kind of passes us by. Everything new gets old and nothing satisfies. All these things, they overpromise and underdeliver. And we, as we looked at last week, Pastor Rob mentioned it, we are weighed down and we feel empty. We're not satisfied. On the outside, you and I, we might appear to be self-sufficient, but on the inside, inside of our soul, there's a, there's a canyon of need. So if that's you this morning, God says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Come to me. So in essence, God says, all you who are thirsty, who are broke and cannot pay, come. And all of those of you who are thirsty... And you think you can pay and you can work your way to salvation, come. This invitation is for you. You are on the guest list. So that's the guest list. What about the event itself? What is offered? Well, in verse 1, God's invitation sort of offers three different beverages, water, milk, and wine. And, And John Piper, by the way, he helpfully comments on this that I found to be super helpful for us, that they correspond to sort of three needs that every person has within their soul. And water first meets our need for refreshment. So you guys know this, if you've been on a long hike or you've been working out in the yard for a long time and you are tired, you're, you're thirsty, what do you want? You just want that cool, crisp 
glass of water, right? And God invites us this morning to receive refreshment, to receive restoration, reviving, a new beginning from him. Psalm 23, what does it say? It says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores or he refreshes my soul. It's God's offering to us. What about milk? Well, milk needs our need for nourishment. So when someone's gasping for life, you know, you give them water. But when you want a little baby to grow day after day, you want to give that little baby milk. See, God is not just for emergencies or mountaintop experiences. When you finally get to the top and you're famished, he's also for health in the long haul. He wants to not only give you life with water, but he also wants to bring stability and strength with milk. And last but not least, what about wine? Well, wine meets our need for exhilaration. You know, we want to be refreshed, we want to be nourished, but we also want to celebrate, right? No matter how stoic you might feel, you might be on the outside, you know, uh, no matter how unemotional you might be or laid back to others, every single one of us, you know this is you, every single one of us has got that child within us that just wants to laugh and play and sing and shout and dance. In essence, God says, I want to revive you I want to nourish you, and I want to give you joy and life. It's the drink that God offers, and then the food. What does he say in verse 2? He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So he wants to give good food and rich food. That word for good, um, it can also be translated best. It means it's of the best quality. And rich, in other words, it can also be translated fatness. And so it it means that there's a lot of it. It never runs out. And so here is what God is offering to those who respond to this invitation. Eat and drink at my banquet table. My food and my drink is good. It's plentiful. I give what is best and it never runs out. And many of you guys might be like, Scott, that sounds too good to be true. I'm not sure if I believe that. And I think for a long time, I thought that Christianity was not about feasting. It was about simply do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, performance, and trying to measure up. And when you didn't measure up, you would hide. At least that's what I did. And oftentimes when those things didn't satisfy, I went to other things that I thought would satisfy. And maybe that's you this morning. You, you've gone to television to sort of just numb your mind. Or chocolate to make you feel better. You go shopping to purchase something that you think will make you happy. Or maybe you go into a a quiet, isolated room to feed on something inappropriate on the internet. Or maybe alcohol has been your friend. And yeah, you just say, oh, it's just a drink. But it's become a habit. It's become a spiritual escape. Or maybe you're angry with people because they haven't come through for you. Or maybe you're longing for a relationship with that just one person, and then I would be satisfied. But no matter what, you and I were left thirsty. We're left dissatisfied, and many of us find ourselves broke. See, all these things, all these idols, they promise to serve us, but then we end up just serving them. They promise us freedom, but then they end up enslaving us. They always overpromise and underdeliver. Anybody been there? You come in there this morning like that? C.S. Lewis says it well. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine, cannot imagine what it meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that may be you this morning. You've come and you just, you just, please, you just come satisfied with the things of this world and as a result, you're not really satisfied at all. But God says there's more to life than this. I want to give you refreshment. I want to give you nourishment. I want to give you exhilaration. This is the invitation that I'm offering to you. And I'm sure you're like, well, how do I get this food and drink? I'm I'm a little confused here. If it's ambiguous, God makes it abundantly clear in verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. In essence, God says, the food and the drink that I offer is myself. I'm not inviting you into a religion that you have to perform for me. I'm inviting you into a relationship where you can just enjoy me. I want you to come to me. I want you to respond to my invitation. Let's see just the point three. Who is doing this inviting? Who is this host? Listen to how God describes himself. Not the way you might perceive him to be, but listen to the way that God describes himself at the end of verse three. This is God's promise. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The first thing that God says in verse three is, he says, I am faithful. See, when you come to God, he binds you with an unbreakable oath to pursue you. He says, I'm the only one who will never run out on you. I'm the only one who will never give up on you. Um, He uses the word Lord several times in all caps, and that's the word Yahweh, which means covenant-keeping God. It's the word that God uses when he speaks to Moses at the burning bush, and he says, I am who I am, Moses, Trust in me. I will not give up on you. I will bring about redemption from my people in Egypt. I will redeem them out of slavery. I will walk with you through the wilderness, and I will bring you into the promised land where there's milk and honey. I'm that way for you. See, all these other idols, they're going to leave you high and dry, but but God says, I'm not like that. There's no sort of bait and switch with me. In fact, he says, my covenant is one of steadfast, sure love. In other words, my covenant was purchased by love, and it continues with love. That's why God says, you can come and buy mine and milk without money and without price. In essence, God is saying, it costs you nothing, but it cost Jesus everything. He purchased this relationship by his blood. He loves you. And not only that, but he says that our relationship with him will continue in love. Even death itself cannot separate us from this love. This love will never give up on you. And God says, I, I, wanna, I, want, you to, I want to give to you an example of one who experienced this love. His name is David. Verse 4, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader 
and commander for the peoples. In other words, David, a man after God's own heart, he was a witness to the peoples. He led them to God. He said, I want you to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to enjoy a relationship with God the way that I have. I'm reading through 1 Samuel right now in my, my times with the Lord, and, and it's been a, it's, we're just watching this journey of David, and one by one, everything is being stripped from him. Saul is running after him. He's had to leave his wife. He's had to leave his family, and he's stuck alone. But he says, but there's one who will never leave me. There's one who I can never run from, and his name is God. His name is Yahweh. What does, God, what does David say in Psalm 63? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's you this morning. You find that you are parched. Jesus, through David, gives this invitation. Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David says, this is the God who is promising to us life, love, faithfulness. I know it. I've experienced it. But there's a shift in verse 5 where it seems that it shifts from David to the ultimate king, Jesus himself. You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Some people think that's talking about Israel, but most likely this is talking about Jesus himself. That there is one who is coming who will be the ultimate witness, who will be the ultimate leader, who will be the ultimate commander. And he is saying, when he comes, he says, I want you to meet my father. I have been so satisfied with him. I'm enjoying, I've enjoyed a relationship with him from the very beginning of time. And I'm offering that to you. Come and drink and eat. And Jesus is inviting people uh, who do not know him to come and know him and to run to him. He says he's a leader and a commander for the peoples, meaning that it is for all people groups, all nations. This invitation is to everyone. He's inviting the thirsty, the hungry, the broke, the the lost, the poor, the needy from all nations to be his one nation, to be a people who glorify him. That's why Jesus says in John chapter four, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Who did he say that to? He said it to the Samaritan woman who was thirsty and broke. On in John chapter 6, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And all the crowds were following Jesus because they just multiplied the bread and the fish. And they were like, give us more bread. Give us more bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread. Stop going after those things that don't satisfy. Instead, receive me. What does it mean to drink Jesus and eat Jesus? That can be a little bit confusing. I want you to think about what you do with food and drink, right? You, you, you get life from it, physical life. 
In essence, Jesus is saying, I want to give you spiritual life in me. I want to give you meaning. I want to give you purpose. I want to give you your identity. I want you to be satisfied in me. I'm offering myself to you. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm full of love. And I am the host of this banquet table. So don't just come and get stuff from me and then leave. No, come and receive directly from me. I am the gift, not just the gift giver. He's the host, and he's inviting us to come. Now, how do we respond? That brings us to point four, the RSVP. How do we respond to this invitation? I have a confession to make. I don't think I've ever made this confession in public before, uh, but uh, I used to get wedding invitations um, that I'd never responded to. Yeah, that's me. Uh, I remember um, back when I was in college and on into grad school here at FSU, and I would get these invitations from people to go to their wedding, and I just kind of put it to the side. And I remember one day, um, Julia, we were dating at the time, and she came into my apartment, and she's like, what is this stack of mail? You started flipping through it, and there was like multiple wedding invitations. Back then, you have to like fill it out um, that you're coming. And she's like, you haven't responded to these? And of course, the planner in her, she's like, you are sinning royally. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, what's the big deal? Uh, I kind of had like three thoughts in my head, actually, if I were to be honest with you about why I didn't respond. The first one is I just, I'll get to it eventually. Um, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll respond at some point in the future. The second one, I have to admit this, like sometimes I was afraid. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know who was going to be there, what it was going to entail. And so I was a little bit afraid of like responding to it. If it was a far distance, I'm like, man, I don't want to travel there if I don't know what to expect. I was a little bit afraid. But I have to admit this, and this, this is probably the core issue for me. And this might be it for you. I actually thought that it didn't really matter if I went or not. And that might be you this morning. Some of you might not respond to to the Lord because you're like, oh, I'll get to it later. Others of you, you might say, you know what, I'm afraid. I don't know how God is going to respond to me. But others of you might might be thinking, I don't matter to God. It's not going to matter whether I respond to him or not. If that's you, listen to verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There's kind of two parts to this response to the invitation. And the first sort of RSVP is to return to God. In essence, God says, hey, call upon me while I am near. Do it now. In other words, stop holding on to those things that you think are going to satisfy. Stop holding on to those idols and jump into my ocean of grace. You can't swim freely in an ocean of grace if you keep holding on to your idols. Let them go. Return to me. Forsake those things. It means to repent. Basically, means to turn away from those things that you thought would satisfy, and they don't really and turn to the only one who truly can satisfy you. And you might still think, but, but you, don't, you don't know what's going on in my soul. You don't know the things that I've done. I don't know if God's going to welcome me or if he'll forgive me. I want you to hear this. A lot of times we think that God will respond to us the way that others respond to us when they find out what we've done. Or sometimes the way that we respond to others when they've hurt us. What happens? You you start to get a little distance from them. You start to get discouraged and you start to get angry and bitter. And before you know it, you've kind of cast off that relationship. And God says, I want you to hear this. I'm not 
like you. That's why in verse 8, look what he says. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, a lot of times, we use these two verses to talk about the sovereignty of God, that, you know, God's higher than us. And, and that is true, but that's not primarily what this passage is talking about. Look back at verse 6. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. So the word we looked at last week, he's gentle and lowly in heart. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not like your ways. See, we think that God's going to respond to us the way that we respond to hurt. Hurt people hurt people, right? And I'm guilty of that so often. But God says, that's not who I am. John Calvin says this about this passage. Isaiah draws a distinction between God's disposition and man's disposition. Men are wont to judge and measure God from themselves, for their hearts are moved by angry passions and are very difficult to be appeased. And therefore, they think that they cannot be reconciled to God when they have once offended him. But the Lord shows that he is far from resembling men. As if he had said, I'm not a mortal man that I should show myself to be harsh and irreconcilable to you. My thoughts are very different from yours. I am not like you that I should treat you so cruelly. I am infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive. Do you believe that about God this morning? That if you were really open and honest about your sin and your struggle and your hardship and your difficulty, that God would welcome you. Take God at his word. There's only one other passage that talks about this distinction between the heavens and the earth in this sort of way. And it's Psalm 103. I'm just going to read to you this passage really quickly. A beautiful, wonderful psalm. I encourage you to meditate on God's character that's found throughout this psalm. Let me just read you a few verses. Look at how God responds to his people when they sin, when they're holding on to their idols. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God says, I want you to forsake your ways. I want you to forsake your thoughts. And I want you to return to me. Every wrong thought, every wrong action, I am ready to forgive. I'm ready to abundantly pardon. Not just pardon, but abundantly pardon. Because I'm full of compassion. I move towards you when you return to me. Think about the the dad, right? That the prodigal son is coming home and the dad just runs out to meet the son. and gives him a big hug. I have to be honest with you, that's not the way I perceive God to be in my life. About six years ago, I'd been keeping some things secret in my life for a long time. Not only sin that I had done, but even some sin that had been done against me. I I I just thought if I kept it hidden, that somehow it would go away. It wouldn't impact my relationship with God. That lie could be further, so far from the truth. And finally, I became open and honest about Uh, some deep things in my heart and my life. You know what I experienced? Grace, love, forgiveness, compassion. Confession led to freedom for my soul. 
God says, don't wait. Just come. I am near. By the way, repentance, returning, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily sort of thing because sin still exists within me. Um, I've got to keep on coming to Jesus. I've got to keep on confessing words and behaviors and, and things that I've done again and again and again until I finally come to that place where repentance is no longer needed, where all my sin has been washed away, where all suffering is gone. But right now, God says, don't grow comfortable in your sin. Don't live with the things that God has called you to forsake. Move away from those things and return to me. That's our RSVP number one. Number two, relate to God. Don't just return to him, but actually relate to him. Look at these words, come. It's mentioned four times. Come, listen, delight, incline, hear, live, seek, call. These are all relational sort of words. I want you to think about this for a moment. The God of the universe is inviting you into a relationship with you and the hardest things that you've ever faced, God says, I want to be there with you in those things. It goes beyond just a mere passing glance or singing a song on a radio or lifting, listening to an uplifting message on a Sunday morning. He is inviting you to commune with him, to abide with him. In other words, this feast isn't just kind of a one-time event. It's a relationship to enjoy every day. A lot of times we make this relationship with God a lot more complicated than it needs to be. If you think about your best relationships here on earth, what is it basically? It's talking and listening. That's really it. And that's what God is inviting us to. Verse 6, what does it say? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Another fancy word for talking or calling is praying. He's just saying, talk to me. Tell me how you're doing. What's going on? How are you feeling? What's going on in life? Are you talking to God? Are you setting aside time to share with him your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your frustrations and your concerns and your doubts and your difficulties, your joys, your sorrows? One of the things that I love to do is what I call prayer talk. Um, So uh, in prayer walk, I kind of put those things together. And so I just like go to Thomasville. I'm doing it again this week. And I go to this place called Paradise Park. It's right down the street from downtown Thomasville, and I just walk around the park, and I talk out loud, and people probably think I'm weird, but that's okay. I just talk to God. That's what God is inviting you into. Talk to him. Pray to him. But not only that, it's important that we listen. I think that's what God has in mind when he says in verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God, in essence, he's saying, I want to talk to you. I want you to listen to me. This is my word. This is not just words on a page. This is scripture for your soul. This is not just a a list of of do's and don'ts. This is about a relationship that I want to talk to you. I want you to think about this, that God wants you not just to meet with the scriptures. He wants you to meet with the God of the scriptures. I want you to listen to him. He's inviting you to, to commune with him. You don't just check off the box and do your religious duty for the day and then you go on with the rest of your day. No, God says, I want you to meditate on my word day and night. I want you to spend time with me and and not only talk, but 
but listen to what I have to say. And if you've not done that in a while, talk, start today. Open up the Psalms. Let Psalms be a guide for you. They are a really good guide to both talking and listening. Or maybe jump into the gospel. Like, I don't know Jesus. Look at Jesus through the pages of scripture and see how he relates to other people and imagine you in that story and how Jesus is relating to you. If you've never done that before, I would invite you to start. And if it's hard the first time, that's okay. Push through those initial pulls from your idols that so give you temporary satisfaction and move towards the God who gives you eternal satisfaction with him. And when you do, what does it say? It says, my word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And that great purpose in my word is to refresh, to nourish, to exhilarate your soul. Nothing else will satisfy. Trust in me. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy that says that God's word doesn't speak today. Trust in me. Come to me. And when you do, God says, I will meet you there. So may this new year be a new opportunity for you to move towards God, to return to him and relate to him. And when we do that, last but not least, uh, what are some parting gifts for us when we respond to this invitation? Verse 12 as the first one. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing at the trees. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. We've got some more metaphor here. Um, but more than anything else, God says, I want to bring to you peace. Or another, the Hebrew word here is shalom. And a lot of times when we think about the word peace, it's the way the world defines it. Just kind of a peace sign and you go. But the word shalom is much deeper, much fuller than that. Cornelius Platinga, he says, it's universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which joyful wonder is experienced as our creator and savior welcomes us in. So if you are feeling broken, Jesus says, I want to make you whole. If you're feeling tired and weary, Jesus says, I want to refresh you. I want to bring you peace. I want to bring you wholeness. And when you experience that peace, what does it say? It says, you shall go out in joy. When you start to experience that that life-giving peace, joy fills up your soul. And you know that even though we live in a world that's not filled with peace, somehow when you keep following after the Lord, you say, but I am at peace. Even if things aren't okay, I'm okay because God's with me. And one day, the mountains and the hills will break forth into singing. All of creation will join me in welcoming our creator and savior now and forever. There will be no more curse. Everything will be blessed. And that brings us to the second parting gift in verse 13. So not only are we given joy-giving peace, but also life-changing power. Look at verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, of course we know that thorns and thistles infested the ground, and it was a representation of the curse that wasn't just on the ground, but it was every fabric 
of, of life and nature and even within our own souls. We experience the curse both without and within. And for the people of Israel, when they were reading this word at this time, this word, they were in exile. The nation of Assyria had come and just wreaked havoc. And now another nation, Babylon, was on their heels. And as a result, the people were tempted to think that this curse is never going to be over. I'm in exile. And God says, no, I will bring you home. Those thorns and those briar patches that are they're gonna, they're currently you feel like are keeping you from me, from coming back to Jerusalem, I'm going to get rid of them. You will come back, but it's not just for the here and now. He says it's a metaphor that I'm going to bring you back from the wilderness into Zion, not just physically, but spiritually forever. I want you to think about a particular thorny thing that's in your life right now, a briar patch that's in your life that you think is impossible to change. Think about something that's so cursed that you're like, it's impossible for it ever to look different. It's a relationship or it's a financial challenge or it's health issues or it's your own soul. God says, my life-giving power does the impossible. In other words, when the water of my word comes and it sinks into your soul, it doesn't grow a bigger thorn bush or a bigger briar patch. It instead grows cypress trees and myrtle trees. In other words, my word changes your heart. Far as the curse is found, as the song says, is my life-giving power. Death is transformed into life. Judgment into salvation. Curse into blessing. Barrenness into fruitfulness. And hard hearts into soft hearts. And you might think, man, you just don't know. God says, my word abundantly pardon means I'm not just going to send you back on the streets of sin. But I want to change you from the inside out so that My desires become your desires. My joy becomes your joy. My life becomes your life when you respond to my invitation. Life-giving power through the work of the Spirit in your soul. So that not only does it change your actions, but even begins to change your thoughts. You don't know how many thoughts I have that are bad. (laughs) And God says, through my word and, and through my presence, I begin to change even your thoughts. And when that happens, we become a people who make a name for the Lord. As it says at the end of verse 13. Or as John Piper likes to say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we taste and see that the Lord is good, we begin to invite other people to experience this banquet feast as well. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Like, I want, you to, I want you to have your soul finally satisfied and the only one who can truly do that work. But as we know, at the same time, we still live in a broken, fallen world. And in this life, we are never going to experience all that God has for us. We're not home yet. Creation, fall, redemption, And then the last part of the story is consummation or glory. We get tastes now of glory divine. And so in essence, God says, when you make a name for me, when you're satisfied in me, you are an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off, that the curse will one day be broken and completely done away with. 
where there will be no more sin, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more thorns, no more thistles. And every time you taste of this life-giving power and this joy-filled peace through me, it's an everlasting sign that the best is yet to come and that one day we will enjoy this banquet feast forever and nothing will keep us from seeing and beholding the Lord. That's the invitation to us. Experiencing life and joy forever. For Oaks, may we respond in this new year to this great invitation to come and enjoy him. Let's pray.